Hello, everyone, and welcome back to yet again another episode of the Promise Perspective podcast. I'm your host, Stephanie Green, and I'm also the founder and owner of the Promise Perspective. If you're listening in today, welcome, either welcome for the first time or welcome back. I'm I'm glad you're here, and I'm looking forward to this episode today, and hopefully you are too. So I, I cannot magnify enough. And I think I've already done this on the last couple episodes, but I cannot magnify enough how important it is that we understand history, Hebrew history, Bible history, world history. If we're going to be a student of the scriptures, then we need to constantly have our Bible in one hand and a history book in the other. If we are not able to put the scriptures in context, then it is very easy for us to be misled on what the truth is. If you don't know your own history, anyone can fool you. And the issue that we're dealing with today is that most Bible readers do not actually study the word and instead rely on teachings of men. And the Bible is not something that is meant to be read. It's meant to be studied. And we study it by understanding what was happening among the people in which the scripture was originally written to, as well as the events that were taking place that has shaped the history as we know it today. And the majority of the history that has shaped our faith today has actually been hidden and hijacked from us. There is such a great deception that has unfolded over the last 2,000 years that many are not ready to hear. And I am not here to make anyone get it. I'm, I'm just planting seeds because the leaders of our faith have done us a huge disservice. Much of, of what I'm going to be talking about over this season has been left out of our history books, and it has been left out of the teachings of modern-day Christian pastors, modern-day Christianity. And by the end of this season, I pray that you see why. And I, I do not have time to sugarcoat the truth. We don't have time to tiptoe around hard truths. You either want to know the truth or you don't. You either want to swallow the red pill or spit it out. You either want to be on fire or you don't. You either want to wake up or you want to live your life on snooze. And those who want to know the truth are going to have to sit with and deal with a lot of discomfort, frustration, and pain because we must be purged of the lies so that we could be purified with the truth. The reason I talked about, you know, the season of spiritual warfare coming into the things I'm going to be sharing with you is because the knowledge of the truth and the revelation of his word has set me free. But before it could set me free, I had to make every effort to deny myself and pray Pray for for Yah's will to be done 
in my life. It was the hardest thing to go through because it was the Holy Spirit, the Ruach HaKodesh, the set-apart spirit that had to teach me everything. The hardest thing to do is to admit that you've been lied to by the very people who are supposed to be good stewards of the truth and trustworthy shepherds of the flock. But the sad thing is that most pastors today are deceived. We've all been deceived. But pastors have been taught false explanations of prophecy fulfillment in these seminary schools, which has made it difficult for both them and their congregations to see the truth. And I was under the influence of that unknowingly until the Spirit finally worked up enough discernment in my life to know that in order to find the truth, I had to leave the institutional church. The words come out of Babylon were played in my mind like a tape recording for six months until the day I decided to leave the church. I had to leave the church to find this truth. And as we move forward in this season, I want you to sincerely pray that as we continue through this study, that you earnestly seek out everything I'm telling you for yourself and for the sake of truth, not to defend your own beliefs. This podcast, and especially this season, is for everyone, Christians, Jews, Muslims. We are all being held in spiritual captivity, a Babylonian captivity, and it's time to come out of it. There is one narrow path. And I have to preface this again by saying that the Christian faith, the Jewish faith, the Muslim faith, the narrow path is none of these because we've all been deceived. That's why I said in earlier episodes, this is why I don't identify with any religious label. I don't call myself a Christian anymore because my my purpose is not to try to convince you to come to my side. (laughs) Because as I've studied the word myself, I've realized that Christianity has some serious error that needs to be dealt with, as well as Judaism. And Yahoo impressed on my heart so deep about a year and a half ago that I needed to study the history of the church. And when I say church, I don't mean the buildings created from denominational Christianity. I'm talking about the Kahal, that strong 6950 the assembly of Yahweh's people, the assembly of both the Old Testament and the New Testament. His set-apart spirit lit a fire in me to study history, and he showed me things that I prayed for as he led me through my studies. In the process of my study, his spirit showed me the deceptions and error that has been created over the last 2,000 years to mislead the end-time saints. And it grieves me to understand now that the God of this world has hijacked the faith and made it look like light so much that he has tricked the masses into thinking and believing that they are worshiping scripturally when they're actually not. And this this is the strong delusion that has manipulated the masses for too long. And the difference about the times we're living in now versus any other time period or generation before now is that we live in an age where information is at our fingertips. What we have now that people didn't have before is history itself, (laughs) more easily accessible 
than ever. There was a man named Robert Barron who made a profound statement in a book he wrote called Vision of the Ages. I've not read the book. I'm just reading the quote that I saw. And he said, Too many would-be interpreters have been shamefully ignorant of the history of the church and of the perils of the church from its political or spiritual foes. I say this with all the love in my heart, but if you don't understand the captivity of Israel and Judah in the context of the Assyrian and Babylonian exiles, if you don't understand the history of the empires throughout history, specifically the Roman Empire, if you don't understand the history of the persecution of the saints, the Inquisition, the Protestant Reformation, the history of the papacy, the history of the formulation of the doctrine of dispensationalism, the timeline leading up to the decisions and actions of the modern-day birth of the nation-state of Israel, if you don't understand families like the Rothschilds and others and their thumbprint on global financial power, if you don't understand what happened during the South African apartheid and the British colonialism that changed the geographical landscape of that entire continent, you can't understand prophecy. You won't. History unveils prophecy. And if you're trying to interpret prophecy without an understanding of history, you're risking being misled and deceived because you are simultaneously missing a huge puzzle piece to understanding the scriptures. The reason I'm attempting to unpack what I've learned over the last few years of my own personal walk and study the reason I'm feeling led to take my time with this and not rush is because when I learned about the world I live in and the spider web of lies that the God of this world has, has, has had me tangled up in unknowingly, got to get that word, y'all, it's unknowingly. When I learned these things, I ran to the Father. I fled as hard as I could. I was delivered into an understanding of truth, and he fulfilled his promise of writing his commands on my heart in a way that has never been done before and in a way that was never taught to me by anyone. I've been trying to explain why I observe the Torah now. And because people don't understand history and are being taught by pastors who are teaching prophecy falsely, there's a gigantic barrier in the hearts of many that's keeping them from seeing the truth. So before I even start to teach about my love for the Father's ways, I have to take whoever is willing to listen on a journey of the world we live in. And I feel led to start from the beginning. Learning history has edified me in my faith, and I believe it will for you too. So disclaimer, <laughs> before we get started, disclaimer, I am just a servant of the Most High. I am not the encyclopedia of all knowledge. I'm, I'm just a vessel who cares about nothing else than sharing the truth and helping make disciples. For some of you, 
These next few episodes might be familiar to you, familiar knowledge to you. But if you're like me, I can't hear the word enough. <laughs> I love having things repeated to me because I, I need this word written in my heart. Also, I don't know how long each of these episodes are going to be. My goal was to keep them within an hour long, but <clears throat> I'm just totally letting Yahuwah have his way with each episode. And if some end up being three hours, so be it. <laughs> Praise Yah. And as I've already mentioned, I'm also going to be providing transcripts of each episode as a document that will be attached within every podcast episode description box for your convenience. And I'm going to try to clean them up as best as I can to make it easy on the eyes. But I'm a visual learner, so sometimes having hard copies of things helps facilitate learning better for me. So that will be there for you if you want it or need it. It will have the verses in there too. And I'm also going to try my best to provide as many resources in the episode descriptions as I can. As much as I want people to listen to the things I share, I want you to do your own research just as much. I want you to take the things that I share as a tool for your own studies. And I want you to test everything I share. But I don't want you to test me against what your pastor says or against what Christian sources say online. When I say test what I'm saying, I'm asking you to go to scripture itself and you pray and ask Yahuwah to reveal things to you through his Holy Spirit, his Ruach. We talked about what his Ruach means in, I think, episode 30, either 30, 31, or 32. I can't remember which one, but um, anyway, there's going to be many books that I'll be recommending throughout this season as well. So, uh, yeah, let's get started. (laughs) All right. The lineage of the Hebrews and other nations. Um, I want to dedicate the next several episodes to just give you in like a summary format to help put in context the history of Israel and Judah through the lens of the first five books of the Old Testament, which is called the Torah because Torah means instructions. It's the first five books. And also through the lens of the prophetic writings to hopefully just give you an idea of the political and spiritual climate during those times. I'm not going through every book. That will take way too long, and that's not where I feel called to at the moment. And because there are also still many things I'm learning myself. Because like Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 2, he basically said, if anyone thinks they know anything, they don't know as they ought to know. <laughs> and I think Paul was using that as a way to put the verse before that into context where he said, knowledge puffs up, it's proud, but love edifies. So I just want you to know that my hope and prayer is to edify you because I love you. And, you know, I'm not proud to know the things Yahuwah has been so gracious to show me. I'm absolutely grieved. I'm full of sorrow. And oddly enough, it's because of that reason that it makes me love harder. It makes me labor harder, even if people don't see it as love. Also, um, I just moved last week 
and I live in a townhome. And of course, this room that I'm in to do my podcast and stuff in, it's in the the room closest to the main road. So if you're listening to this, I'm going to see how this episode goes. But if you're listening to this and that bothers you, please let me know. Because I know you you might hear cars driving past, but if um, please give me some honest feedback about that. Just email me or shoot me a message and just say, hey, you might want to find another spot. Seriously, please, because I want I want this to I don't want any distractions. So if that is a distraction, even a little bit, please let me know. I will not be offended. Okay which I might have to go back and listen to this just to make sure. I don't know, because I'm I'm not going to re-record this <laughs> um, because it's Tuesday and this has to go out on Thursday. So I probably won't have another opportunity to record this and edit it and get it all ready. So let me know, okay, please. But anyway, so all right, let's start with Noah because his lineage is going to play a huge role in some episodes later in this season. Okay. Noah had three sons. It was Shem, Ham, and Yepheth. And we know from reading the, the very first book of Genesis that Noah's three sons are what populated the whole earth. And it's important to know where these descendants spread to because it helps us understand the people who were in different lands during different time periods. So we're going to be hanging out in Genesis chapter 10 and 11 for a little bit here. Also, please see the Table of Nations document linked in the episode description box. It's it, it's not the cleanest document, but it's basically just a copy of my notes. Okay, so do with it what you will. <laughs> now, okay, I had to pause and change locations, so I'm, I think this is going to be a lot better. <laughs> um... I couldn't handle the cars driving past, so I, I had to I had to switch it up. So sorry about that if that caused any noise, but if it sounds different now, it's because I'm in my closet. <laughs> I'm just keeping it real with y'all. Okay. Anyway, I was actually getting ready to talk about something really important and the noise was like, okay, you Stephanie, you gotta you gotta change locations. You gotta because I want y'all to be able to to truly hear me and um I don't want you to be distracted. So I need to stop here though and talk about something very important before moving on. If you read that document, the Table of Nations document that I'm linking in my description box, and if you listen to some of the things I say when talking about certain geographical areas on maps and in scripture, you will hear me say that these places are quote-unquote so-called or said to be, which will give you the impression that I'm trying to insinuate that those may not be the true places that we've been told. And my intention is not to cause confusion. But I will say this, as we address more and more, um, as we address more and more truth towards the end of this season, around how many of the lies that many don't know are lies have been strategically and carefully packaged and manipulated 
I'm going to talk more about these geographical places we read about in scripture later on. The geographical part of it all is kind of last on my agenda for this season. And I promise you, it's for a very specific and very intentional reason. If you've been reading my posts and listening to my podcasts, you know that a lot of our words in scripture have been manipulated to mean something that they actually do not mean. Words have been changed and the meanings have been lost through the translations. And we have this same case for our maps that we have today. I will be spending a very large amount of time discussing how many of the modern places of scripture today may not be the true original locations. And I don't say this because I'm trying to throw a wrench at you early on in this season, but in full transparency, the Father has led me to understand that if I try to talk about certain things right now, it's not going to make sense. And it's actually going to cause more confusion and make things more difficult. So, but I want to be transparent because a lot of these things will only make sense if they're, if they're talked about in a chronological fashion. The Father has led me to teach others the way it was revealed to me. And I believe and trust that in doing so, I'm being obedient, but I'm also going to help make better sense of some things. I believe that following his lead will be what best accomplishes his purposes and his plans for what he wants to do with this season and this podcast. Because after all, (laughs) it belongs to him. All of it. Because y'all, my heart truly is, is to teach and to help people. And this information is so thick and so heavy and so hard to break down. And I've got to be careful and discerning in how I approach every episode. So I say all that to say that I don't want you to focus too much on geography right now. Because in full transparency, this is something that I'm going to discuss much later in this season. And I, I think you'll understand why. I really do. So I hope that makes sense. But if you guys have any questions, just please reach out to me. So we're going to revisit these lineages as well as the lands that they were dispersed to at the end of this season. And we will also revisit the story of the exit, the, the story of the Exodus that will be discussed in next week's episode. Or Maybe not next week. It might be the week after. I, I think that this next episode um, is going to take, I think it's going to be about two weeks, okay? Um, like I said before, um, I don't know I, I don't know how consistent I'm going to be weekly. And that's just me being even more transparent with you all. So maybe next week, maybe the week after. <laughs> so um, right now, though this episode right now, I'm just trying to establish a baseline. Yet at the same time, let you know that there is much more I plan to expand on towards the end of the season. I told you all in the beginning that this season is going to require time and patience. Okay. 
So let's start with Ham and Yepheth, or Ham. I'm trying to pronounce it right. Ham and Yepheth first, and then we will work back around to Shem. So it's important to know that Ham and Yepheth, by bloodline, are not the people that Yahuwah made a covenant with. It was the bloodline of the line of shame, starting with Abraham and his descendants, in which Yahuwah chose to make a covenant with, which we will get to that soon. So Ham, he had four sons, Cush, Mizraim, Put, and Canaan. So let me give you a quick example. When the people of Israel came to the promised land, we hear it often referred to as the land of Canaan. That's why. The promised land was being occupied by Canaanites. So it helps to put things in context when we know that the Canaanites in the land were descendants of Ham. And we're going to go through these one by one because it's so important that you know who these people are and their lineage, because it plays a huge role in understanding the biblical and physical physical Hebrew Israelite people today who have scattered to the four corners of the earth. Okay, so Ham fathered Cush. Cush is another word for Ethiopia, which is in Africa. The Cushites are Ethiopians. Cush was the father of Nimrod, who founded Babel, Akkad, Erech, and Kalneh in the land of Shinar, which geographically speaking is where ancient Babylonia began. Another name for Shinar is Sumer, which is where we get the Sumerians. Akkad is where we get the name Akkadians. But all of these places make up what we know today as Babylonia. Most are aware that Nimrod founded the ancient empire of Babylon. This was the first world empire. And if you've listened to my other episodes, then you know that there are many traditions and teachings being taught in Christianity today that are, they, they are of ancient Babylon in origin. And because we don't study history, we stay ignorant to it. Okay, so Cush also fathered Seba, Havilah, Sabta, Ramah, and Sabteka. Okay, these sons <clears throat> populated the areas of so-called modern-day Arabia. And many of these descendants of Cush were centralized to Eastern Africa, and possibly the country of Yemen. This is why a map is important for us this season, and it will be even more important later on. <laughs> so that's Cush. The next son is uh, of Ham is Mizraim. Mizraim means Egypt, and Mizraim's sons were all Egyptian tribes, which if you didn't know, is like in northeastern Africa. So Mizraim's sons include Ludim, Anamim, Lehabim, Naphtuim, Pathuizim, Kasluhim, and Kaftorim. Hope I'm pronouncing that right. <laughs> so the supplemental document attached 
to this episode in the description box, we'll actually have more details on the geography piece. So I encourage you to download that. The country of Egypt touches the country of Israel. And I do want to note, too, that in Genesis chapter 10, verse 14, it notes that out of the sun, Kasluim, came the Philistines. And scripture identifies five Philistine cities, which are Ashdod, Ashkelon, Gaza, Ekron, and Gath. Just wanting to give you some context there. So, yeah, that's Mizraim. Okay, next we have Put, another son of Ham. And there isn't much information about Put in Scripture, but according to Strong's Hebrew Dictionary, um, that's Hebrew 6316, Put, or Foot, however you want to say it, also means Libya. So according to biblical definition and association, we can conclude that it's associated with a group of North African people. It's also worth mentioning that Jeremiah chapter 46, verse 10, mentions the men of Put, his descendants, as being warriors who were allied with Egypt, but they were defeated by King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon as a judgment from Yahuwah. So lastly... Underneath Ham's sons, we have Canaan. And we know according to Genesis chapter 9, verse 22 through 27, that Yah cursed Canaan because of what Ham did when he saw his father naked. And we're told that the land of Canaan today, we're told that the land of Canaan today includes many modern day parts of Israel, Palestine, Syria, Lebanon, and Jordan. There were, I think, 11 Canaanite tribes living in the land of Canaan before the Israelites possessed it. So Canaan's sons included Sidon, 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 which your modern day textbooks and the Greeks will refer to these people as Phoenicians, in which just to give you a little extra context, before the Greeks' conquest, the Phoenicians were a powerhouse of ancient civilization. The cities of Tyre and Sidon were known for their huge network of trading routes, and these trading routes extended from the land of Canaan all across the northern tip of Africa into the Iberian Peninsula, which is the country of Spain. And the Phoenicians were a dominant trading power until about the second century BC. And once the new city of Rome emerged, it was kind of a done deal. Once the Roman Empire began to conquer like crazy, um, the city of Carthage, which is in northern Africa, it's an elite city and trading port at the northern tip of Africa, fought a series of three wars over the course of a little over 100 years until Rome finally defeated Carthage in the Third Punic War of 146 B.C., So anyways, we'll revisit that later, but there was some serious business (laughs) going on in Africa that I didn't know much about until I started studying this topic. So Canaan also begat, which were all Canaanite tribes occupying the land of Canaan, obviously, but he begat Heth, 
the Jebusites, the Amorites, the Gergesites, the Hivites, the Archites, the Sinites, Arvidites, Zemorites, and Hamathites. I didn't note what um, verse that is in, but I'm sure it's pretty easy to find. So that's Canaan. Um, so the parts of the earth inhabited by the Hamites, descendants of Ham, were parts of the territory of Assyria, which was just north of Babylon. They inhabited northeastern Africa, the land of Canaan, which is said to be the modern state of Israel, and also said to have inhabited parts of Arabia, Syria, Phoenicia, Turkey, Babylon, southern Iran, east Pakistan, and a large part of India. However, I would like to add and reinforce my, you know, a short disclaimer that I don't believe this is completely accurate, but I will address this later. Because the geography piece of this season, like I said, it won't <clears throat> won't play an important role until much later on. Okay, so let's move on to Yepheth. Genesis chapter 10 verse 5 tells us <clears throat> that the descendants of Yepheth made up the quote-unquote Isles of the Gentiles. And the verse says, by these were the Isles of the Gentiles divided in their lands, eat everyone after his tongue, after their families, in their nations. The offspring of Yepheth occupied the shore territories of the Mediterranean Sea in Europe and parts of Asia Minor. And they dispersed northward over the entire continent of Europe and a huge part of Asia. Yepheth's descendants traveled west, north, northeast, around the Caucasus Mountains, which is a mountain range between Asia and Europe. It's actually where we get the word Caucasian. It stretches between the Black Sea and the Caspian Sea. So let's go through each one of Yepheth's sons. Okay, so Gomer. Gomer is basically where we get all European descendants today. For example, my family is um, of German and of Irish descent. So it doesn't take much effort to know that I most likely came from the descendants of Yepheth through his son Gomer, probably. This is just my assumption. I haven't had my DNA tested or anything, but Gomer refers to his peop to people whose ancestors settled in modern-day Germany. Gomer is the lineage of German, French, Welsh, Irish, British, Anglo-Saxons, which are all members of the Celtic family, which includes also Scotland, Ireland, Wales, etc., um, and in the fourth century AD, you, you have, and you may be familiar with some of these Germanic tribes. So around this time, you had the Lombards who ruled the Italian peninsula, um, the Burgundians who lived in a part of Germany, which is now Poland. Um, you had the Franks, which are German, 
Saxons were German, Anglos, which were German and England. The Anglo-Saxons were a cultural group that inhabited much of what is now England. This was in the early Middle Ages. You also have the Jutes, which are Scandinavians, Ostrogoths, also German, Visigoths, also German, and Vandals. And the Vandals, they were Germanic too, but they also maintained a kingdom in North Africa. And these tribes were also called, all these tribes were also called barbarian tribes because they played a huge part, huge part in the fall of the Roman Empire in 476 AD. But these tribes settled all over Europe and intermingled with modern nations of Western Europe. And like I said, it's where we get the word Europeans today. Gomer's sons were Ashkenaz, which is Germanic origin of the Scythian kingdom. You have Rifath, which is northeastern Turkey, and Togermah, which is southeast Turkey and Asia Minor. And those those are our Armenians. So that's Gomer and his sons. The next son of Yefeth is Magog. And keep in mind, because I don't think I told you this earlier, but all the descendants of Noah, those are who scattered after the fall of the Tower of Babel and after Yah confused the languages. So Magog's descendants were Scythian people. These people later migrated to Russia, Ukraine, and Asia. And ancient historical records from historians like Flavius Josephus tells us that the Scythians were descendants of Magog. And additionally, um, the church father many people know as Jerome writes, he wrote, Scythian nations, fierce and innumerable, who live beyond the Caucasus and the lake Myotis and near the Caspian Sea and spread out even toward, even onward to India. So descendants of Magog include the Russians, Ukrainians, Hungarians, Finns, Siberians, Yugoslavians, Croatians, Bosnians, Serbians, Slovenians, Slovakians, Bulgarians, Polish or the Poles, and the Czechs. And I've also read that the descendants of Magog also arrived in Sweden, Finland, Germany, Ireland, and Scotland. So, um, oh, and some of Gomer's other sons are Madai. And Madai is the father of the Medes, the Persians, which we will talk about the Medo-Persian Empire in a coming episode. So Madai was the ancestor of Cyrus the Great, who founded the Persian Empire. So, and then we have Yavon, or you might pronounce it Javon, it's with a J. And from him came the Greeks, Italians, Spaniards, and Portuguese. Alexander the Great was called king of Yavon. And Yavon was a word used used universally by the nations of the East as the generic name for the Greek race. 
So then we have Tubal, which are the descendants of modern-day Turkey. Meshach is identified as being north of the Black Sea, so like southern Russia and Ukraine. And Tiras is an area of today's Balkan Peninsula, which is where Romania, Moldova, Bulgaria, East Greece, and West Turkey are standing. So it was through Yepheth's sons that these people made up the Isles of the Gentiles and were separated into their lands. And I encourage you to take the time needed to look up these areas on a map just so you can get a better understanding because it, it truly is helpful to put a name with a place. So don't you see, I, do you see why I, I wanted to give you all the transcripts now? That's a lot of information. It's <laughs> a lot of information. So I think these transcripts will be helpful um, as long as I can clean them up good enough to make them, you know, easy on the eyes. <laughs> um, but yeah, I, that's why I feel like these transcripts are necessary, especially, like I said, if you if you are sincerely wanting to study these things out, it's really important that you do. So, like I said, don't take my word for it. You should take all this stuff and go go research it and look it up yourself. But anyway, so last but not least, we get to shame. <laughs> the firstborn son of Noah. And in Genesis chapter 10, verse 21, it says that Shem is the father of all the children of Eber, or Eber, um, E-B-E-R. So Shem is the patriarchal ancestor of all the Hebrew people. Shem's great-grandson's name was Eber, and was Abraham's great-great-great-great-grandfather. In fact... The Hebrew word for Hebrew <laughs> is Eberith, which is Eber. So in Eber is the root word for the word Hebrew. And you can look both words up for yourself in Strong's Dictionary. It's numbers, Hebrew number 5677 and 5680. So to be a Hebrew means to be a descendant from Eber. This is why I talk about why words are so important and they matter because they help us understand scripture. It will also be helpful to know and remember that when talking about Semites, you know, you hear the term Semitic and anti-Semitic being tossed around so much today. But when talking about Semites, a Semite is one who's a descendant of shame. So a Shamite. So Abraham was a descendant of Shem. And although Abraham grew up in Babylonia, Ur of the Chaldeans, that's where he grew up, according to modern day understanding of what these words mean today, Abraham was the first Hebrew that we study in scripture because when reading Genesis chapter 12, we learn that it's through Abraham, in which his name was Abram at the time, in which the promise of the... So through Abraham, the promise of a great nation that was to come through his seed is given to us by Yahuwah. So let's read it. Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 through 3 it says, And Yahuwah said to Abram, 
get yourself out of your land from your relatives and from your father's house to a land which I will show you. And I shall make you a great nation and bless you and make your name great and you shall be a blessing. So we see that this is where the promise was made to bless Abraham's seed. Abraham is promised a son, but before Abraham and Sarah, or Sarai, before her name was Sarah, get pregnant with Isaac, Sarah first takes her maid, their maid, Hagar, who was an Egyptian, and they bear a son and name him Ishmael. And Ishmael had a number of sons who were scattered throughout Arabia. And Ishmael Ishmael is well known in the Muslim religion. So between this and the time of Sarah conceiving Isaac, it's important to note that Lot, who was um, Haran's son, so Abraham's brother's son, so Abraham's nephew, Lot, um, Lot was taken advantage of by his two daughters in which they conceived sons by the name of Moab and Ammon. Um, This will come into play in just a moment. So after Sarah conceived and had Isaac, Isaac would grow up to find a wife named Rebecca, in which she would get pregnant with twins, whose names were Esau and Jacob. And we know in Genesis 25 that Esau... Although he was the firstborn, he sold his birthright to Jacob. Um, And Esau took Canaanite women as wives, which was forbidden by Yah. That's Genesis chapter 28, verse 1. So Esau's lineage would be the Edomites, so the kingdom of Edom. Okay, I'm skipping through a lot of history here because my point here is to just cover the lineages. This is the boring part that we all skip through when reading our Bibles. But really, when we tie everything in, we miss out on a lot of information when we when we don't know where certain people come from and how that came to be. So this episode is going to tie into some of my later episodes, which is why this has to be covered first. So Jacob meets a woman named Rachel, who is the daughter of a man named Laban. The thing was that Jacob wanted to marry Rachel, but the problem was that Rachel had an older sister, Leah, who hadn't been married yet. And as Laban says in Genesis chapter 29, verse 26, that he couldn't hand over the younger daughter before the firstborn. So long story short... (laughs) Long story short, the 12 tribes of Israel were born through Jacob, and this was done so through both Rachel and Leah, as well as several with Rachel and Leah's slaves. Jacob's name was changed to Israel in Genesis chapter 32, verse 28, and that's why we often hear references to, like, the house of Jacob in scripture, because it's referencing the house of Israel. So the sons of Jacob were Reuben, Simon, 
Levi, Issachar, Zebulun, Judah, which is the tribe that traces the lineage of our Messiah, Yahusha. You had Dan, Naphtali, Gad, Asher, Joseph, and Benjamin. Um, and I'm going to put a lineage. Yeah, I have that lineage chart in my podcast episode description that I created. So be sure to also look at the map of the 12 tribes of Israel as well. I'm going to talk more about the 12 tribes in the next episode. Now, when you look at a map of these 12 tribes, you see that Levi and Joseph are not listed on it. However, Joseph had two sons, Manasseh and Ephraim. So those are what you'll see on a map. And the tribe of Levi is not on there because as you read through the rest of the five books of the Torah, we learn that the Levitical priesthood does not inherit any land. The priesthood was the whole tribe of Levi. And they were the ones who were commissioned with carrying the Ark of the Covenant, caring for the tabernacle, and they were the ones able to enter the temple, the sanctuary, um, and make sacrifices for the people of Israel. So let's read it in scripture. Deuteronomy chapter 10, verse 8 through 9. At that time, Yahuwah set apart the tribe of Levi to carry the Ark of the Covenant of Yahuwah, to stand before Yahuwah to minister and to pronounce blessings in his name, as they still do today. That is why the Levites have no share or inheritance among their fellow Israelites. Yahuwah is their inheritance, as Yahuwah, your Elohim, told them. Okay, so all of the other tribes were given land as their inheritance. But the tribe of Levi's inheritance was living off of the land and the food of the other tribes because they had a very special responsibility. So Moses and Aaron, his brother Aaron, they were both of the tribe of Levi. So Joseph was the second to youngest son. Yeah, he was the second to youngest son. And like I said, it was him who fathered the tribe of Manasseh and Ephraim. But I want to touch on one more key piece of the book of Genesis. And this is when Joseph was sold into slavery in Egypt by his brothers. And this story starts in Genesis chapter 37 and goes all the way to the very end. So Joseph was sold in Egypt to a man named Potiphar who was an officer of Pharaoh and a captain of the guards. Long story short, Joseph served in the house of Potiphar, and he really went through it. (laughs) Everyone seemed to do Joseph dirty. I mean, not only was he portrayed by his family, but he was also falsely accused of sleeping with Potiphar's, Potiphar's wife. He ended up being thrown in prison for several years where he interpreted two of the prisoners' dreams, who were actually two of the Pharaoh's officers. Um, He eventually got the opportunity to interpret Pharaoh's dreams of the coming famine to the whole earth. There was going to be seven years of abundance 
before seven years of famine. So he helped Pharaoh and the whole land of Egypt be prepared. So he, Pharaoh, placed Joseph as a vice regent over the land of Egypt. Now, because of this great famine, Jacob, a.k.a. Israel, he sends some of his sons to Egypt. And Joseph reveals himself to his brothers and they make amends. And it's such a beautiful story of love and forgiveness. So again, long story short, Joseph brings his family to Egypt so that they're able to survive the famine. And they sold everything, including their freedom. Um, They settled in the land of Goshen. And within a few generations, the Israelites multiplied very quickly. And although they would become slaves in the land of Egypt, Joseph realized that everything bad that had happened to him was in summary, Genesis chapter 50, verse 20 says, you planned evil against me, but Yahuwah planned it for good to bring about the survival of many people. Think about it. If it weren't for Joseph being sold into slavery by his brothers, the nation of Israel would have perished because of the severe famine. And that's why Joseph said in Genesis chapter 45, verse 7, he said, Yahuwah sent me ahead of you to establish you as a remnant within the land and to keep you alive by a great deliverance. Wow. (laughs) So that is where we will end it today. This is pretty much the beginnings of Israel as a people and as a nation, and also the beginning of what Yahuwah would eventually use, um, like he would eventually use Moses to bring about the deliverance from this slavery and the exodus out of Egypt. So Genesis establishes the foundation for the rest of the five books total, which make up the Torah. And it was important that we cover this in detail. So I hope this episode blessed you. I hope that you all take the sources I provided in the podcast episode description as a tool to help you all in your studies. And um, we will pick up where we left off next time. I love you all so much, and I will be back with you all soon.